Last week, we began a new sermon series entitled, All You Need Is Love. And we had the the privilege of looking at um, the message last week, uh, orienting ourselves to consider what religion gets wrong about love from Luke chapter 7 and a a great story there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be today. It may sound funny if the preacher says this, but we're going to have everything on the screen. It's kind of a good day just to relax your Bible a little bit and check it out on the screen. I promised you that we were done with 1 Corinthians. Uh, We did a long, slow walk through it, and we ended in the 16th chapter when we said, uh, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be strong and courageous, let everything you do be done in love. And then we closed that uh, letter and then cast vision for community, uh, committing to the Sunday gathering and then living life in community. And we ask you to sign up for a group. If you're not in a group, get in a group. If you're in a group, get back together with your group, grow deeper with your group. If you want a new group, uh, you know, I can teach you how to wiggle out of the group because I know you don't like the group you're in. We can, I, there's a Christian way to do that where you don't hurt everybody's feelings. Uh, come see me about that, but get in a group or lead a group. And that's uh, what we're about. L- life lived in community. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love in community. And that's what we want to be about. And so many of you have signed up and stepped up to leave. We're so, so grateful uh, for that. Uh, when he writes, when Paul writes this about love, it's the most famous writing on love ever written. And he starts in a very poetic way. And he says, look, I can have all these things, but if I don't have love, then I don't have anything. Love minus, you know, everything minus love is nothing. It's kind of the simple equation there. I can speak with human or angelic tongues, but if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. Uh, I could understand all prophecies and all mysteries and all knowledge, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. I can have faith to move mountains. I can give all my possessions uh, to the poor. Um, I can have my body burned at the stake, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. He, he mentions all of that and says, hey, it's all about love. I wonder if Paul was not writing to Corinth so long ago, but was writing to us today in America. I wonder what he would say, maybe something along these uh, lines. He, he may say, uh, you know, you can... Uh, you can move songs up the chart like Morgan Wallen, or you can speak like Morgan Freeman, or you can shoot your shot like Steph Curry, or provoke debate like Joe Rogan, or sell out arenas like uh, Taylor Swift. But if you don't have love, you could be on the cover of Forbes magazine as the top philanthropist in the nation. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So today we're going to start, it'll be easy to follow, it may not be any good, but it'll be easy to follow. We're going to start with a line by line, verse by verse on the greatest uh, chapter, the greatest writings ever on love. And it starts this way. Now, Paul mentions 15 things about love. Some of them we would say are positive, some are negative. Today we're going to look at a positive one, love is, and then there's several coming up, love does not. Like, for example, love does not envy. That's going to be coming up very soon, but I don't even know if we need to preach that because y'all don't struggle with envy, do you, on social media and stuff, nobody? Yeah, that's the 930 crowd, they struggle with it, but y'all don't need it. But, uh, but today we're going to look at this, and let me ask you, think about it, I'm going to ask the question, give you a second, because I don't want you to answer out loud wrongly, because that's, that's embarrassing. But how does Paul start? He mentions 15 things on love. Love is, love does not. Love is, love does not. But how does he start this great chapter? Love is what? Love is? Love is patient. How are we doing? Love is patient and love is kind. Man, it's funny. God always works in my life, especially when I'm wrestling with something and preaching it. No no lie. Uh, This morning, I had a guy tailgate my bumper like never before in the history of my five and a half plus decades of living. I mean, he was just riding, riding my bumper all the way up old Canton. And I, I remember thinking, man, does he go to, it's one of y'all, by the way. I was thinking, it's one of y'all doing this to me. It has to be. 
and, uh, and I turned right on Dueling Hall real early this morning, and I just gave the look off. You ever do the look off? And I look, I do this thing because I'm a pastor in kind of a, a smaller area, a smaller part of town. I just look over and I, and I see if they come to church or if I recognize them. And if they, I feel like they're not coming to our church, I give them the stare down. Uh, patience is, um, listen, patience is our Achilles heel, isn't it? I wonder why Paul started by saying love is patient. Recently, those surveyed, uh, those, those reputable for surveys, surveyed Christians in tons of churches in America, and they, they, Presented to them the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. They said, which fruit of the Spirit are you most lacking? Which fruit of the Spirit do you need the most help with? And the number one answer far and away was patience. We need patience. So love is patient, but patience is, is so lacking in us. Uh, patience in so many ways is our Achilles heel. Here's what the psalmist wrote. It's a, a promise that maybe some of you clung to in harder times wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart the deepest part of you let your heart be courageous here again wait for the Lord here's what will challenge your patience and mind time and time again and live long enough it'll it'll be on repeat and it, it involves a lot of angst let's like let's just be real but in this book and around this room we can give testimony to this that detours and delays detours and delays will test the very fabric of your patience i think of delays i think of the psalmist who wrote uh in the 13th psalm how long O oh lord ever prayed that prayer you're in you're in something you don't want to be there how long O oh lord give me a day next tuesday wednesday a couple of months do i have to wait a year how long O oh lord when when things are delayed in your life when god's timetable is not yours it's hard to be patient isn't it but it's a requisite for living detours you're not where you wanted to be it, it, it's it's a longer path it's a different path it's a difficult path detours and delays will test you but wait wait on the Lord let your heart be courageous remember what Jesus said in John 14 in this world you're gonna have trouble but don't let your heart be troubled you're gonna have you're gonna have trouble but don't let your heart be troubled there's gonna be trouble in the world but don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let the world get deep inside of you. You got to experience it because you're human. Some religious people aren't willing to admit their humanity and their limits and the fact that we live in this world with tons of trouble. And we don't need to hide our head in the sand with that. The scripture doesn't and we ought not to. But though there's trouble around us, our heart doesn't have to be troubled. Wait on the Lord and be patient. Crawford Loritz is one of my favorite preachers. I'd love for you to Google him and watch some of his sermons, Crawford Loritz. But he gave a definition of patience. He said, it's just your will to wait. It's your will, that volitional, deciding part of you. That part of you, it's your, it's your will to wait. Patience is your will to wait. I want to give a definition of my own, and I think it provides some, I hope, some insight for you this morning. Patience is the capacity to live gladly in the current season when we would rather not. Patience is the capacity to live gladly in the current season when we would rather not. I was thinking this morning, shared this with the first service, but you know, when, when they wrote the scriptures, it was a different time. They didn't have speed dating and speed dialing and fast food and instant messaging and uh, overnight shipping and 5G and 6G and what are we up to now, 7G, I don't even know anymore, but they didn't have all the stuff and it's hard for us. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you have a, a garage door opener and you, you punch that garage door opener and it opens up the garage and you don't have to talk to those nosy neighbors because you can just punch it. The garage door opens magically, mysteriously, and you pull in and it's just there. And I, and I have shared this with some of you before, but 
on the regular, my garage, and I've got one. In fact, I've got, let me brag a little bit. I've got two garage door openers. I'm one of a few people at Fonder Church that can open the gate here by remote with a, my second. Oh, Susan can. Okay. Don't be bragging. Love doesn't boast. I'm not proud. But anyway. Um, but yeah, so just a few of us, Susan and I and a couple other people. We can open, but I, I love the having a remote control. I love to open a garage from a distance. But can I tell you, at my house, when I push the open, it takes about 14 seconds. And there are times when I almost hit the door because I'm so impatient. I'm so wanting to uh, get in and get going or relax or whatever it may be. I'm reminded whether it's someone tailgating me the very same Sunday that I'm preaching on patience or almost regularly, almost daily, um, tapping my foot, pounding the dashboard, or tapping the steering wheel, waiting on the garage to open. And maybe I should be grateful that I can push a button and the garage opens. Maybe I should be grateful that my, I have a truck that serviced me to get home. Maybe I should be grateful that I have a home and have a family to go home to. But I get irritated. And by the way, I'm talking our language here, but we live often, you do too, not just me, between irritation and indignation. In fact, patience is rendered also in the Bible as long-suffering. Patience is, there's a Greek word in the New Testament about being patient and it has the connotations of a flame and a boiling water. And what di- dictates if, when the water boils, at what, how high of a temperature and how fast it, it's not the size of the pot or pan that it's in. It's what, the size of the flame. If it's a high flame, it's going to boil fast. If it's a low flame, it's going to boil slowly, right? And the invitation for you and I to live in patience is to live with a low flame. Look at me for a second, because some of you have had an outburst. Some of your anger is getting the best of you. And we're going to talk about anger because later it says love is not angry. So we're going to get there. But Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, and it's crouching. The scripture says sin is crouching at your door. It's crouching at your door. And don't give it the power. Don't invite it in. You wouldn't invite a burglar or a criminal into your house tonight. Would You're going to lock the doors, maybe leave a light on like we do at our place. You're going to watch carefully of who you invite in. But some of us, because of our impatience, we're inviting. The flame is kept on high. And you're, I mean, hate to say it because everybody's saying it on social media, but you're living your life too easily triggered. Keep the flame low. To live with patience is, means you keep the flame low. A couple years back, I noticed that there was a book uh, on our nightstand in our bedroom. And the book was titled, um, Have a New Husband by Friday. And yeah, exactly, right? And I'm like, man, my, my girl Susan, man, I mean, she's got some passive aggressive qualities in her, okay? But that's ridiculous. I mean, obviously wanting me to do better, be better by Friday. It was like Wednesday when I discovered this book, when I saw it. So a couple of questions arose to my uh, always thinking mind, my fertile imagination. I thought, what, is, what, is, what does it mean by new? Like, are, are we talking like new and improved? Or are we talking brand new? Because there's a big difference. Are you with me? I mean, there's a very big difference in those two. And then what are we talking about Friday? We're talking about this Friday because it's Wednesday. Or are we talking about some distant Friday in the future, like May 7th, 2038 or something like that? I can do it by then. You give me 2038, that Friday, man, I can be that. I can be the new husband that she needs. And here's something that's true for all of us. We want to live our lives and when we put in the work, when we have good intentions followed by a disciplined routine, we want to see the results. We want there to be something to show for it. We, we want to check the boxes. We want a to-do list, and we want to control what's going to happen next. We love books with those titles, or some, some of us do. But we, we love things like that. But patience is so vastly different 
in what God wants to do, the way that he wants to work uh, in us. It's really different. So let me stop for a second, ask how's your patience? How's your patience quota? Where are you living on that continuum between irritation and indignation? For some of you, and you think, well, it's not that bad, preacher. I'm just irritated a lot. Look, I've seen, I've seen people get divorced because of it. they're just irritable. They, they have money. They had, had a church, you know, had a big wedding at a church. They had good people around them. They just couldn't get along. They were irritable. Little vexations, little problems. One after all the stuff in the daily just got the best of them. Irritability is a bigger thing than you think. But somewhere, this low hum, this low-grade irritability can move toward indignation. The flame gets turned up, and your impatience rages. And we have stories, don't we? And here's what impatience will do. Here's what I know. Impatience will kill your prayer life. It'll absolutely shatter any hope, any prospect for intimacy with God. It'll destroy your children. It'll hurt your marriage. And it'll put you in a place where you can't stick to your budget, stay with your diet, honor your commitments, or endure a difficult relationship. That's what impatience will do. It's a really big deal. I've shared this with some of you before. It's meant a lot to me in my own devotional life, my own reading. My favorite writer is a man named Dallas Willard. He was a late uh, professor at USC in philosophy. I love some philosophy, and so Dallas has been one of my favorites for a long time. They asked him once, if you were to describe Jesus... Uh, in one word, what would it be? Well, let me ask you, how would you describe Jesus in a word? You may say, uh, if you're in a class or a small group and we put you on the spot, you would give an answer probably like holy or loving or, you know, what, I mean, what would you say? Um, here's what Dallas Willard said. Jesus, in a word, is relaxed. Jesus, in a word, is relaxed. That doesn't sound holy enough for some of us religious people, especially if you're visiting today and you're from a, a high church. I know we got a steeple and a stained glass, but we're not, too, we're not very high church here, a little casual, I guess. But um, that may not sound too holy for you. That may sound uh, blasphemous or sacrilegious to say that Jesus is relaxed. We don't gather in any churches and say some type of creed like, I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and relaxed. It just doesn't seem right, does it? But look at Jesus. He entered the world. And I know, I know some of you have a great weight on your shoulders. Someone called me last night and said, can we meet now? I need you to pray for my job. I'm like, dude, I got a job tomorrow and I got to write this sermon. And uh, that, that didn't go well. But anyway, um, I, some of us, some of you have a great burden of vocational weight. Can I just say nobody carried the vocational burden and the weight like Jesus carried? Are you kidding me? Israel was in, in dis disarray. Humanity needed a savior. All the fracture that happened uh, from Genesis chapter 3 uh, pointed to a Messiah who would come and change the world and change your heart and mind. He had this weight on him. One time early in his life, his parents lost track of him in the marketplace. They're like, hey, where's Jesus? Jesus, where are you? And Jesus said, my will, my business is to, to do the business of the Father. I wasn't with y'all. He should have told them, kids, if you're listening, should have told them where, where they were. They didn't have find a friend feature on phones back then, but they didn't know where Jesus was. He got loose in the marketplace and he said, my will is to do the business of the Father. But check this out. He went back to Nazareth. He reconnected with his family. He was a carpenter. He remained a carpenter. He turned 18. He turned 20. He turned 22. He turned 25. He turned 29. What's up, Jesus? It's not my time. It's not the right time. It's not the Father's time. 
He understood implicitly what you and I need to know. There are delays and there are times when it's not right to act. And God's timing is always best. Jesus preached his first sermon. Luke tells us about this. And when, or let me say this, but even before his first sermon, his ministry began with uh, my guy, JTB, John the Baptist. And it was a big launch. John the Baptist like, here we are. We had the baptism, right? Y'all remember the baptism? The, the heavens opened up. Uh, the voice of the, the Father, the Spirit descended like a dove. The voice of the Father speaks over Jesus and says, this is my son who I love, who I'm well pleased. That's a good start to a ministry. All right, Jesus, go get them. Jerusalem's nearby. You got the crowds. This is a big launch. And what did Jesus do? Jesus went into the wilderness. Jesus got off the grid for 40 days to commune with the Father. In his first sermon, you know what they wanted to do? After his first sermon in his hometown, remember what he said, prophets without honor in his hometown? He saw it. He preached it, then he saw it. But in his hometown, he preaches. And, you know, some in the group, they wanted to kill him by pushing him off a cliff. Read that in Luke chapter 4. And you know what it says? I love Luke includes this. I love this. After that, knowing that, because Jesus knew everything, knowing that, here's what it says. Luke writes this. He goes, and Jesus walked through the crowd. Who does that? Jesus sauntered down the street. That's my version. He just walked on by. One time, he was with his guys. And they're like, let's go, Jesus. The crowds are building. We got momentum. Let's do this, man. And Jesus is like, you guys go ahead. I'm going to stay here. I'm tired. And by the way, patience, you need, to, you need to live with urgency and importance, but you also need to understand the limits of being human, of your body and the bodies and souls of people around you, your children, your spouses. Let me just call you to look at Jesus and let's be patient. They're like, I'm going, I'm going ahead, I'm going ahead, type A's, a bunch of type A's. They're going ahead, Jesus is like, I'm going to be here. And what happened? They get back and they see Jesus. He's hanging out with a Gentile Samaritan woman at the well. She'd been married five times. She was shacking up with a guy right then. They're in a boat one time. I bet everybody, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard this story. They're in a boat, and these are fishermen. And they're used to boats. They're used to storms. But this storm must have been uh, the Mac Daddy of storms. And the storm comes, and the Scripture tells us that the, the disciples are freaking out. And uh, Jesus, it says, dot, dot, dot. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is taking a nap. By the way, if you're married, use that on your spouse, right? There's always a hard-charging spouse and someone that lives more relaxed. And I've done this before, like, hey, babe, I'm taking a nap. I'm, I'm practicing the way of Jesus to become more like Jesus. They're freaking out. They want things to work out. And Jesus is taking a nap. One time in John chapter 6, Jesus preached a really hard sermon. Can I say something real quick? If you're looking for a church, don't go to a church who preaches everything you want to hear. And don't go to a church where someone doesn't stand up here and bring something that's very uncomfortable for you that you may disagree with, that may work you and ruffle your feathers and cause you problems and um, confront your life choices. Thought I'd slip that in there. I didn't tell the 930. But Jesus brings this really hard sermon and the crowd slimmed. And, you know, we love, a, we love a large crowd. Everybody likes a large crowd. Church is better, large crowd, you know. And um, they're like, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's get the momentum back. We've got to get the momentum. Jesus is like, that's not the will of the Father. The disciples, they were slow to understand his teachings. They were slow to trust. They were slow to obey. They were slow to serve. In fact, Jesus diagnosed their condition. They misunderstood him. They denied him, they doubted him, they abandoned him. 
Jesus diagnosed their condition. He does that, by the way. And here's what he said. The scripture says, how foolish you are and slow to believe. I guarantee you, if you were starting an urgent movement of any kind, you would not start with foolish people who were slow to believe and act. You would find the hard-charging type A perfectionist who would get it and who would go after it often and early all the time. That's who you would choose. But what do we learn in Jesus? Relaxed Jesus. We learn that he's patient, that he's patient, and he chose the slow people. And he said, here's what Jesus, here's what he never said. He never said, I'm trading you in, I'm swapping you out. Now, let me say this. This may be a little tense because some of you are in a relationship where you're on eggshells. Some of you are in a relationship where you've had a fight and there were angry voices and someone told you or you told them, hey, one more mistake, one more mistake, one more, I'm out of here. And we live, some of you young people have grown up and products of a, a divorce and it hurts, doesn't it? And Jesus, we don't see that in our God. We have this perfect covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And he called these men, and he said, I'm going to use you. And he did, and he stuck with them. And that's what we see. I love the great story of David. So many components to this. But David was anointed as a boy to be king. That's a good gig, isn't it? But he was anointed as a boy to become king. And here's the thing. He had to wait year after year after year. It was much, much later when he was anointed king. He was appointed but it took a long time to be anointed. It was a delay. It were, there were many detours involved. And y'all know that there was a king before him, King Saul. And King Saul was insanely jealous. In fact, he wanted to kill David. And David ran for his life. Some of you read the Psalms. And we read it you know, from our uh, air-conditioned uh, living rooms or cushy offices or whatever. Like, oh, enemies and caves and all that. But like, it's not figurative for him. He was on the run a lot because there was this very jealous king who wanted his uh, head on a platter. And David, uh, after King Saul died, he demonstrates incredible patience. And he waits. He waits patiently for the Lord. The one who asked you to wait patiently himself was, had to practice what he preached. King Saul had died. His best friend Jonathan had died. And here's a, here's a request that David makes in 2 Samuel 9.1. David asks, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. Say it with me. Love is patient and love is kind. And we see the great kindness of the people who are patient. When you're most patient. Pe by the way, people that are in a hurry aren't kind. People that run past don't notice. Hurried people, frantic people, unrelaxed people, distracted, worried people don't show kindness. And here we see David offering this up. There was a boy who was frightened. He was scared. He was lame. This is his name, Mephibosheth, and he could have been a rival to David. He could have been a rival to the throne, to the kingdom, but here's what David did. David fed him, David protected him, David took him in, David honored him. Love is patient, and love is kind. God is patient. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Who's grateful for God's patience in their life? Come on. God is patient and God is kind. Romans 2.4. What leads people to the kingdom? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience? 
not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Quick word, what leads people to repentance is not the religious zealots on the bullhorns and microphones yelling at people in the world about their sin. All right? That may spark some sort of conviction or conversation or angry altercation in the parking lot, but that doesn't lead people to repentance. But forget about them. What about you? Can I tell you my testimony? It's his kindness that has led me to, to change my mind, metanoia, to turn around, to surrender myself to him. It's the kindness of our Savior. I'm in a preacher's group, some, some of you know, and we talk a lot because we're kind of in this thing together. All around the country, there's about 15 of us. We'll be together with our wives next month in San Antonio for a couple of days, and we all promised each other, we challenged each other that we're going to show this at church today. So there's several of us doing this. Gene, if you're ready up there, I want you to take a look at a testimony of God's patience and kindness. What's the craziest thing you found? Gold. Gold and cash. Cartier watches, all kinds of stuff, diamonds, everything. There's nothing you can't find in New York City. So the way this industry works is people who have nothing go and they pick up the cans and bottles. Then we call the truck. So this truck goes and the driver gets one penny that he collects per bottle. Then the company that picks up the bottles from him gets eight and a half cents. How much do you make? Anywhere from four to $800 a week. You know, it sounds foolish, but what I do is I take the pot and pan on a Saturday and Sunday. I'll, go, I'll be in uh, Jackson Heights, and I'll go sell it for 5 $7. So I make another $1,000 every weekend from the stuff I find during the week. <laughs> I have to laugh because I've been doing it for so long, I've been living off of it. So in a week, you have a couple grand maybe? 14 15 18 depends on the week. It depends on the weather. Because if I could be out in a summer day every day, I would sell all day every day. I make 3000 a week. Easy, easy. You grew up in New York? I grew up in New York, grew up in Queens. Met my wife down here, had three beautiful babies with her. Came up, involved in some not too good business, and I uh, got in trouble, got locked up, lost my wife and kids. So that's why I'm in this mess picking up It must up have cans. been very illegal. Was it like the FBI or something that got involved? The FBI got me. Uh, I was smuggling. Just? Just and people. Oh, and people. Yeah, okay. That's the real money. Millions and millions of dollars. We used to drive boats to the Bahamas, the Bimini, different islands, and bring them over to the United States. How'd you get caught? I got ratted on. Somebody told on me. So they got off of probation, and I got 10 years. Do you regret anything? Oh, yeah, I regret everything. Lost my wife and kids. I didn't get to see any of the grandchildren be born. I missed a lot of stuff, man. You seem to be able to hold that pain together pretty well, though. You don't? What am I going to do? I got no more tears. I'm all cried out. Now all I do is I can only be joyful and laugh and have a good life because it's soon going to end. I'm 60. What were you like in the past? A little crazy, a little reckless. I used to have big muscles and great hair, and girls thought I was cute. So I took advantage of all of that. And, and uh, it's not the right way to be. So now I'm a Christian. I do the right thing. I do my very best to walk properly, to love the others, you know? Milton, I didn't expect to see you here. Tell me about your relationship with God. Woo! So there's a great scripture in the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. What that means to me is before Genesis 1-1, he had already chosen those who he chose. I was called in June of 1993. I gave my life to the Lord. I was in jail. The three ladies came from the Bronx to preach. I just felt led in my spirit to say, okay, I, I, I think you're telling the truth. I agree. I'll accept. Since 1993, which is 30 years ago, I've screwed up a million times. 
I've been used of God a million times, but I've screwed up a million times. And I've come to the conclusion after 30 years that truly, truly God knew who I was and what I was going to do and what I was going to become. And he knew I would pick up cans one day before it ever happened. That scripture helps me to realize that when I fail, you know, don't please or do the things of God. He still loves me. He still cares for me because he chose me in Christ. He seated me at his right hand in heavenly places. I'm seated there right now, whether I deserve it or not. Is that hope you have for the future, something you hold on to now? It's difficult, but I've seen so many miracles and so many spiritual things that I firmly with all my heart believe that God is real. And therefore, I believe his promises in the word and I stand on them. I don't deserve it, but thank God for his grace, you know? Hola, Amanda. That's my friend Amanda. Eric, Hi. it didn't come out yet, love. <laughs> Count your stuff. Milton's coming back in 15 minutes. John, here's a question for you. Talk to me. When you get to heaven, what are you going to ask God? I, why'd you choose me? <laughs> like, who am I that you, cho <laughs> you chose me? <laughs> so I can walk on the streets made of gold. You got a house with me up there? Look at those streams and rivers and angels. Oh, it's good to go. I'd be so I couldn't stop smiling down here. I'm going to stop smiling up there. <laughs> what do you think he would say of you? You could have did so much better. I had so much more for you. You big dummy. <laughs> what do you have to say to someone who's trying to believe in God but can't? Simplest answer ever. I heard it from a young boy. God, 15 seconds of your time. Bow down and say, Lord, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Speak to me. I could keep you here all day, Eric, with stories. My God has been great to me. And I appreciate you coming around to encourage me and invigorate me again about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> How we doing, ladies? How's life? Great. Our God is patient and kind, isn't he? And isn't it a good thing? Like, I, I want some of what Eric has. And Eric told us, he said, man, I, I could stay here all day with stories of God's goodness in my life. And he could also tell us stories of detours and delays and hardship and all. And that's where God will develop our patience. As Lauren and the team come up, we're going to end with song and communion today. And, but I want to share a couple of things that could help you uh, in your patience. Patience with each other and patience with God. And a quick story with this. I want to give you this word to help you understand being patient with one another. It's the word understanding. It's a really important word. Proverbs tells us to seek it along with knowledge and wisdom, to seek understanding. Men, look at me for a second. Men, young men who will bear, be married one day. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, live, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding all of us need to seek to understand people around us. Annie Downs, any of y'all read from Annie Downs, some of the women do. Uh, she's a great writer. She tells a story. She was in an airport one time between a uh, speaking engagement and heading home. And she uh, had a long delay, so she goes to the to a retail place and she gets a newspaper and a little small package of cookies. She goes back to wait in the terminal. And um, lo and behold, um, there's a man, and she hears this rustling noise and there's a man seated behind her he's well dressed an older man and he uh, gets one of her cookies and eats it and she's like well maybe something's kind of wrong or whatever maybe off with him I don't know like I, but I don't want to I don't want to cause a scene so but she took a cookie and ate it and he took a cookie and ate it she took a cookie and ate it and Annie Downs tells a story in one of her books she said uh, that we were down to one cookie 
And this man, uh, well-dressed older man, he breaks off the cookie in half and pushes half the cookie to me. He eats the second half of the last cookie and, and he leaves. And moments later, uh, she hears her boarding group call. So she goes into her handbag or purse to get out her ticket and she sees a small package of cookies. Not only uh, was he not eating her cookies, she was eating his cookies. And here's what I want to say. A lot of your impatience is due to your lack of understanding. And so let me say this, because I read this this week. There's a woman named Sarah in New York. I wonder if she knows Eric. I bet she'll get to know Eric. She'll see him on the street. But Sarah lives in New York, and she, um, she, her aunt and her father were struggling badly with COVID a year and a half ago. And her neighbor, a neighbor wrote a note. The author of this note put it on her door and also on Facebook. It, she said, take your Christmas lights down, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. It's Valentine's Day, exclamation point. And she didn't know. And so this woman, Sarah, she writes and she posts on Facebook to the group. She says, I lost my dad, I lost my aunt. When the funerals are over and the estates and stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise I'm going to take those lights down. I'm sorry. Of course, the neighbors feel terrible. They bombard her with gift cards and meals, and they post a note back uh, on Facebook. And in a show of beautiful solidarity, you know what they do? They all restring and re-put up. They put up their Christmas lights. Uh, they, if you're type A, you need to know they all took them down in June. But they, they all put up their, their Christmas lights as a show of solidarity and love. And I can't help but wonder how much of your impatience with other people is your lack of of understanding and Proverbs says it this way a patient person shows great what understanding and the last thing I want to say is this word abiding Jesus said this famously he said let me give you the Greek word Lauren uh, y'all know Lauren went to seminary and she's really smart smarter than me and she's not just a song leader she knew this Greek word and knows that it's mentioned 11 times in John 15 and here's what Jesus said famously. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've always struggled with that part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because part of me doesn't like that part of the gospel message. Like I want to be self-sufficient and reliant. Like there's things that I do that I think I'm competent at. And the, the, if the gospel is good news, it's not going to defame me like that by saying I can't do anything. And I thought about what Jesus is getting at. Now, here's what I think he is getting at. Is that when you get to a point in your life and you can just say, it's not working. This, my way, is not working. That's what he's talking about. That we can do nothing. That your to-do list, as long as it is, your commitment to go fast and hard and to achieve, when that's not working, when you're at the end of your rope, when you want to throw in your towel, when you've tried everything and nothing is working, that's when you need to do the most important thing that you can do and it's your connection with God it's this word abide in my on my phone I carry a picture of our trip to Israel back in 2018 and there's one pic, picture in particular I look at almost every day and it's a picture of a grapevine in Israel and it reminds me of what Jesus taught and when my ways aren't working and I'm stuck and I'm at an impasse I look at this and it reminds me that the most important thing about me is not my to-do list. It's not what I think I want to achieve or what I can do or what I point back to. It's my connection to God. It's me being the branch. 
And I think so often for you and I, we're hurting our ability to be patient with the work of God in our lives because we're trying to be the vine. And can I just quote Jesus and say, you ain't the vine. You're the branch. And so we like the to-do list. We like when there's something broken, we want to fix it. And if you're there this morning where something's broken and you're not able to fix it, you're at the place where Jesus can really do his work. And the work is your, the most important thing. I look at this picture, I think the most important thing about me, my primary job, the most significant thing that I can do as pastor, as husband, as father, as friend, is to be the branch and to be connected. When it hurts, stay connected. When you're disappointed, stay connected. When you're in, your life is in disarray, stay disconnected. When people are deconstructing around you, stay connected. Abide in the vine. When you don't feel like it, abide in the vine. Nothing will determine your life, future, and eternity like your connection to God. And I say that to say this. You won't get patient by going, I'm going to produce this in my life. Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And He'll grow it in you. He will grow it in you if you stay connected. And we recoil at words like abide, dwell, remain, stay. But those are the most important words when it comes to any relationship. Would you stand with me? Father, bless this act of worship and communion as we come forward and come to the table. And we do this in remembrance of you by taking the cup that represents your blood and taking the bread that represents your body broken for us. Lord, receive this worship. And I pray today that for many of us today that we would come and our confession would be God thank you that you are patient and that you are kind in Jesus we pray Amen